Hello, I'm Katherine Pierce. And I'm Brooke Hayes. We're graduate students at the School of Environmental Studies at the University of Victoria in British Columbia, Canada. On this podcast, we explore the stories of people working toward the change they want to see in the world through conversations about how they got from hope to here. Our aim is to provide an antidote to the doom and gloom narrative that dominates mainstream media by exploring these stories, and by shining a light on the ways that fellow researchers are taking action and inspiring hope in others. On this week's inaugural episode, we provide an introduction to the podcast, including who we are and what inspired us to launch this podcast series. We also interview Katie Frankel, a fellow graduate student at the University of Victoria. Yeah, people want to do the right thing. And I think the more people can know about an issue, you have more public support, more industry support, academic support, which I think can help um, push for uh, a quickening of that agenda. Well, here we are. (laughs) It's really happening. We're launching a podcast. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) It really is. Oh my goodness. This has been like a lot of work to even get to this point. I mean, just the idea of doing this was like just an idea a few weeks ago. And now here we are. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how it's all come together, just sort of jumping in and getting it done. Yeah. Well, you know, we're in our very first episode here, and it's a great opportunity to just spend a few minutes kind of explaining what this podcast is before we dive into the interviews. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So why don't we start with kind of who we are? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you think our listeners want to know who they're listening to? <laughs> They probably want to know, like, who, what this voice is and what the other voice is. <laughs> so I'm Brooke. <laughs> and I'm Catherine. Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned in the, in the intro, we're grad students, but maybe, Catherine, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of where we are in the world? Sure. Yeah. So um, I am a first year master's student in environmental studies at the University of Victoria, Um, I've come back to school after time being out in the world. I have um, professional experience working in the public service and government. Um, I've worked also in the past for other organizations as well. And um, yeah, I, I decided to come back and do something different and try out a different path. And here I am. Yeah, it's amazing. Your your path is inspiring and it's so, so great to, to be on this journey with you. Well, thanks, Brooke. You too. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your path? Sure. Uh, very, very briefly. There's probably a long story and a short story, and I will definitely stick to the short story today. Uh, like yourself, I'm a graduate student in the University of Victoria, Master of Science, uh, looking um, in into the connection between soil quality and the mental health of farmers, which I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about some more. Uh, like yourself, I've got a long and winding road to this point and have about uh, 20 years experience in the public sector, which I think really informs my perspectives on some of this work. I'm also uh, calling in or recording today from the traditional territories of the Lekwungen speaking peoples. So that's the traditional territory of the uh, Wissanek, uh, Songhees, and Esquimalt 
First Nations. So that's otherwise known as Victoria. <laughs> oh, that's a really good thing to note. And I am calling in from Sunemo territory, which would otherwise be uh, known as Nanaimo. So yeah, here we are. Yeah. No, we're in such a beautiful corner of the world. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be in this absolutely beautiful place talking about, you know, this incredibly important subject, which is, you know, hope in the face of you know, an environmental situation that is filled with challenges that are sort of beyond our, even our understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a really good lead into talking a little bit more about why we're doing this. If you want to lead us off, Greg. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the, one of the main reasons I think we're doing this is, or at least that I'm doing this is that I'm really inspired by nature and its resilience. And I've been inspired by it for, my whole life and you know there are lots of places where that inspiration has come through and 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 one of the places was this class that we found ourselves in uh, taught by dr ellen kelsey who has written a book called from hope to here and it was hope such matters a, oh sorry hope matters sorry that's sorry to jump in yeah our podcast is, great, is from no, hope to here <laughs> you're in hope matters thank you for yeah. that yeah absolutely <laughs> um, yeah and and being absolutely inspired by this subject of how do we communicate in a way that expresses this inspiration and optimism about solutions in the face of genuine environmental difficulty? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, Ellen Kelsey's course has been really inspiring and it's sort of crystallized a lot of things that I've thought about but didn't necessarily have the words for or I didn't realize that it was an area of study. It's been um, really inspiring and that's a big part of what inspired us to kick off this podcast but I think that we both had already been thinking about a lot of these things as well so it also is sort of just it has been a bit of a great excuse to do this thing and just jump in. Absolutely I think one of the biggest surprises uh, in in this in this class and in sort of our discovery going through this process of setting up a podcast is just how how much structure there is to this concept of hope and and I do hope that this podcast helps to bring some of those concepts and ideas about what hope means and and what it can do for us uh, and and how it's actually being realized in day-to-day -day life is a really important conversation to be having right now um, just given there are so many things that feel out of control in our lives to give a chance to explore some of these ways that people are really moving towards positive change. It doesn't take away from all the negative stuff that's happening and that is real, but it does allow us to, to rest in a, in a different place with an understanding that there are good things and bad things. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's been a big takeaway for me as I learn more and more about this issue is sort of, um, the idea of having sort of a counter to that really negative environmental sort of news that we're always hearing about and how it can, it can be so overwhelming and that that can be paralyzing. And if we instead can approach it from more looking at solutions and a more hopeful perspective, it actually inspires more action because when we become 
so overwhelmed, you know, then, then we're just in a place of despair and we're not moving towards anything positive. And so I think that's something that I really hope that we can bring attention to in some of our conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe also just one final point to add to that. The, the, the reality, is, reality is I'm a very curious person. I really, <laughs> I'm really interested in a lot of different things. And I'm genuinely interested about what drives people to move forward on the subject that they've chosen. Like what's behind that? And, you know, there's some really interesting interesting things happening out there in the world and coming back to school has been such an an awe-inspiring and joyful discovery of just the dramatic volume of people that are actually working towards you know positive change or gathering information and these people are, are not doing that because they want bad things to happen right? <laughs> you know oh, yeah they've dedicated their lives <laughs> to it you know they're they're hoping for some positive change to come out of that and i think that's, I'm really curious to kind of see how people are, are getting to those places. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is so inspiring to see how many people are working on like such a wide variety of issues. And I just find that that is one of the most hopeful things as well as when you start to look around and see, yeah, just how many people are sort of fighting the good fight and working mm-hmm. on all of these things. Yeah. And like you, Brooke, I'm also very curious and uh I like to know sort of what makes people tick and what motivates them and how they, how they are handling, um, yeah, how they're handling their work and how they're handling their feelings about some of this, um, which I hope we're going to get to in some of our conversations. Yeah, I think that's probably a really important point to mention right here as well is that we're not just talking about sort of the the technical side of what people are doing, but we're really asking people how they're taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important question to be asking in the face of this eco despair that people can really feel isolated by and paralyzed by, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe let's talk for a second about, you know, who, who is this podcast for? Like, who do we think this is really designed for? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And Brooke, do you want to take it away? <laughs> I was offering, but I, I'm happy to share. I mean, at least at least from my perspective, really this podcast is just for people who care about the environment. It's really mm-hmm. for people who who are are hopeful that, you know, the environment is resilient and that people's can be ally people can be allies in the building of and the working towards solutions that are, are real and meaningful in the face of very difficult situations. Um, you know, I think we're really, we're trying to engage with people that have curiosity about um, the environmental topics at large and about the people that are working towards actively making change. Perfect. Uh, sorry to put you on the spot. I just, I've heard you explain it so well, so. <laughs> I don't mind at all. <laughs> Uh, it might be also worth noting just, uh, you know, th- we're not, we're not going to be engaging, even though we're academics and we're going to be talking to researchers and academics, we're not really going to have a technical conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think um, just to, to what you said before, that our hope is that this will be something that's of interest to anyone who cares about the environment and cares about what's happening to it and just has interest and curiosity in general in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, well, let's dive in then into kind of what people can expect when they're tuning into our podcast every week. Yeah, absolutely. So we are going to feature a series of conversations. We've started with interviews with other members of our grad cohort. Uh, so first up in this first episode, we have an interview with Katie Frankel talking about her research into ghost gear, mm. which you will learn all about and more um, <laughs> as you listen on. We then have uh, our following episode will be with Astra Lincoln. She and she'll be discussing her research into water management in alpine environments. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Lauren Burton, who is a new first year PhD student, and she is looking at monitoring well-being indicators in marine protected environments mm -hmm. uh, and then our fourth interview is with Ellen Gertz and she will be talking to us about INAT, iNaturalist and how that can be used in biodiversity and conservation management. Yeah. So we have some yeah some really interesting interviews coming up. Oh, absolutely. I think there's, you know, just those four topics alone are so diverse. And I think mm -hmm. it's amazing that we're all in the same grad cohort. You know, that's one of the things I love about the environmental studies program at UVic is that it's by its very nature kind of cross and multidisciplinary, which I think is really where academia can can provide a it, it's sort of the growth space from in my mind at the edges of subjects and sort of how things you know, cross topics is where we really have a lot to learn. And it's sort yeah, of free of like the going to the center of a subject, like let's see how the subjects interrelate to each other. Yeah, I think we have such an opportunity to learn from each other with such a wide variety of um, yeah, areas of interest in our cohort. And maybe after that, maybe uh, I can interview you and you can interview me about our own graduate work because I think your work is super fascinating. Do you want to give just a very like one sentence summary of kind of what you're looking at? Yeah, um, I'm really interested in how communities are responding to climate change and specifically looking at um, the local government level and uh, looking at how local governments can coordinate to potentially um, increase the effectiveness of the climate action that they're taking. So that's super, super brief. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk about it mm -hmm. more. And I know that people would love to hear more about your research as well, Brooke. Yeah, but just to, to touch into yours a little bit, I mean, yeah. both of us have worked inside of the public service. And so the topic of governance across mm -hmm boundaries across mm -hmm. geographic and different levels of government is such an important conversation to be having you know at large and and yeah. how we face common challenges across those geographic areas to me feels really like an important conversation to be having right now yeah i think it's really interesting and um i, I think it's important that's why i'm researching mm -hmm. in this field yeah. but um oh yeah so, yeah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's what my research was. I think I, I, did, I hinted at it in the introduction, but I'll just maybe mention that I'm, I'm really curious. Um, one of the, the, the key sources of inspiration for me to come back to school was recognizing that soil has the ability to regenerate its quality through different management practices. And I really feel that, you know, the ability to restore and retain high quality soils is the foundation of a healthy society. And so I'm really interested to know if there's a connection between soil quality and farmer health. 
So that's really where my research is kind of taking me as a starting point, but there's there's a lot more to talk about there too. And I, and I look forward to, to getting into that a little bit more in the future. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I can talk about that for a long time. So I'll I do, there. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more thing I wanted to add in terms of what people can expect in terms of these podcasts is that we'll be sharing, you know, this is really a learning experience for us as well. You know, we're just, we're grad students kind of figuring it out as we go. Um, but we'll probably be sharing things we learn along the way right things mm-hmm. that give us hope so um that might take a couple of different forms but you know maybe do you want to sort of describe what you imagine that might look like yeah i think that um as we lead into our future episodes we'll take a, a few minutes to talk with each other and check in perhaps about things that are helping us to feel hopeful that week or maybe some interesting information we've come across maybe a a book or an article or something we've learned in class that we want to share um yeah that's sort of how i envision it yeah that's perfect i think like i said the the amount of structure that there is in this topic of hope was Mm -hmm. really a surprise coming into the class with dr kelsey Mm -hmm. to see that there is so much happening in this in this subject in this space i think there's probably a lot to share and and probably people need more hope in their lives so if we can offer a few points of access that that seems meaningful yeah absolutely and i know i do and i (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and i hope this podcast helps helps it bring some of that into the lives of our listeners Mm -hmm. yeah this is a bit of a learning process for us as mm-hmm. well and you might notice in the first few episodes for example the quality of the audio might not be perfect and it's you yeah. know really we're we're starting this off kind of just as best we can and we're going to be offering things that we learn along the way and um you know the format might change a little bit but this is kind of where we're starting and we we didn't want to wait for it to be perfect to get something out there so here yes. we are and I think with that, maybe, you know, it's important to, to know that we're really open. This is, you know, our first episode. We're open to suggestions and feedback and and really would like to hear from you about how this is working for you. So there there are, um, there's at least uh, one way to reach us, which is a, an email that Catherine has set up for us, which is fantastic. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you can email us at hope to hear at gmail.com and we'll include that in the show notes as well. So we'd love any any feedback or suggestions. Yeah, and that's just the full spelling of all those words. Hope, like not the number two, but T-O, hope mm-hmm. to hear yeah. at gmail.com. Great. Okay, well, I guess that means we get to get into our, our interview with Katie now. How exciting. Yes, I'm so oh, excited. Me too. All right, well, <laughs> um, see you there. <laughs> Katie Frankel is currently a Master's of Science student in the Marine Ethnoecology Lab in the School of Environmental Studies at the University of Victoria. Despite growing up in landlocked northern British Columbia, Katie dreamed of being a marine biologist. This led her to pursuing her Bachelor of Science in Marine Biology at UVic. As someone who thrived on being a jack-of-all-trades, Katie hopped between contracts after her undergraduate education. She worked as one of Ocean Network Canada's first interns, monitoring marine instruments, and participating in oceanographic cruises in Sandwich Inlet. 
She also worked in Victoria's whale watching industry and in fisheries monitoring for BC's commercial industry. Gaining experience within BC's commercial ground fish industry ignited Katie's curiosity in ghost fishing gear, ultimately leading to further her education. Katie's research focuses on exploring the reasons for commercial fishing gear loss in the Salish Sea and uses spatial analysis to identify high-risk areas for gear loss. Here we are. Oh my goodness, Katie, we're so excited to have you here today. This is our inaugural From Hope to Hear podcast and you are our very first interviewee. So welcome to our conversation today. Yeah, thanks, Brooke and Catherine. I'm super excited to be here. I consume way too many podcasts on a daily basis, so I'm excited to be part of one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, we're excited to hear some more about your work. So Katie, we wanted to start out, uh, very first question is about your vision for a hopeful future. So can you talk to us about what that would look like for you? Um, if we did all the right things and um, yeah, what would the world, what would the world look like in 2050? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? Tell us about your vision. Yeah, this one is a really hard question. I mean, I guess that like the, the, my two, I guess, main hopes for the future is I would love a place where people and wildlife can just coexist peacefully. Um, you know, that our natural resource extraction processes could become more sustainable so that we're less of a, a harm to this place we call home. Um, and another thing I really love is for a place where um, good science and science education is accessible to every single person, no matter what barrier perceived barrier, real barrier, anything that could be in their way. Um, just so people can have all the information that they might want to have about anything that they might want to learn about. Um, and, you know, a place where science doesn't necessarily exist in a silo, um, separate from everything else. Uh, I would love to live in a place where science is just like a part of every day life and yeah, a big part of sustainability. I love that. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, thanks. No, there's so much goodness in there in that vision for the future. And it sort of takes us to the next question, which is, you know, you chose this specific area for a reason. You have a, you have a path that brought you here to this mm -hmm. subject. And, you know, really curious to understand what was the reason that you chose the specific area of study that you're looking at? Like, what was your path to this place? Um, I mean, I grew up in landlocked Northern British Columbia, so I don't know how I ended up on the marine path, but um, I've always loved animals of like every single type, kind, and like even the weirder, the better for me, which is a lot of marine animals. So I think like one day on the TV, I heard the term oceanography and marine biologist, and it's, you know, I was young and I was like, yeah, that's what we're doing. There's no plan B. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, from there, I just, I pursued an undergraduate degree in marine biology. Um, I went to school uh, in my home hometown, Prince George, and started at the University of Northern BC, um, transferring to the University of Victoria to get that marine biology designation. Um, and that was 
I mean, undergrad was so much fun. I had an excellent opportunity to um, do a co-op term with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Um, and I participated on some of their scientific cruises at sea along the west coast of Vancouver Island and discovered for the first time how um, critically seasick I get, which was so fun. Um, but once the medication kicked in, it was a really yeah. good time. <laughs> um, and then I was um, in one of the uh, fall semesters uh, at the Banff Marine Sciences Center, which was just like, a, it was a dream, but also a boot camp for anybody who wanted to be a marine biologist and definitely like one of mine favorite memories. Um, and I feel like those two experiences really solidified for me that I wanted to find a way for people and like marine wildlife to coexist. And I wanted to like look into those types of issues. Um, so yeah, after undergrad, I jumped around between a few different contracts, just like every biology undergraduate does. <laughs> um, I worked at Ocean Networks Canada and I did some um, scientific monitoring of Saanich Inlet, and that was super fun. Um, I did everything from data analysis and field work and helping one of the PhD candidates with her lab work. Um, I spent some time in the whale washing industry in Victoria, BC, um, which was also fun because I love um, the education aspect. And of course, I love seeing whales <laughs> a few times a week. Um, and then I moved into uh, my most recent career uh, in the fisheries monitoring uh, in BC and mostly focused on the ground fish industry. Um, and that was definitely a big eye opener for me. Um, I really enjoyed working in some of the smaller areas on Vancouver Island and kind of getting to know the industry a little bit more. Um, and how much it affects like a bunch of people's lives. Um, and then my company became affiliated with the Global Goal Scare Initiative, which is where I first heard the term go scare. And I, I looked at this issue as obviously a big problem worldwide, but it seemed like something really tangible that we could fix. We can tangibly remove harmful gear out of the water. That's something we can do. It's not easy, but it's possible. Um, we can make gear more, um, you know, less likely to be lost or easier to be found if it's lost. It just seems like a more tangible problem out of all of the marine issues to tackle. So, uh, yeah, I started really becoming like obsessed with this idea and I uh, contacted a few props through a cold email to pursue my master's degree. I actually had an interview with a program out east which I botched horribly because I was not prepared to, I was not prepared at all. Um, but that's how I met my current supervisor, Dr. Natalie Van. Um, yeah, just totally cold emailed her. We had an excellent meeting and she was like, okay, let's do this. Let's apply for funding. And she had, she had no experience in researching ghost gear, just like I had no experience and a lot of people around the world don't, but um, yeah, ultimately, like her wanting to take a chance on me and like also thinking that this is like a, something we can, you know, help facilitate solving um, was really a big game changer. And so, yeah, here now. 
That's awesome. Before we dive into the next question, I just wondered, you know, you love animals. You, you, you know, self-proclaimed this great love of animals and, uh, and for the ocean animals specifically. Is there any animal in the ocean that you think is particularly worthy of love that kind of brought you um, sort of to like a new level of excitement about what was possible in the world of animal-human relationships? Yes, actually, the first one. So before I did my fall program at the Banfield Marine Sciences Center, I did a crustaceans biology field course. And that was like one of my favorite courses I ever took. And first day, uh, Dr. Gregory Jensen from the, uh, I think the University of Washington um, State came in and was like, crabs don't get no respect. That was like his <laughs> opening to the course. <laughs> and, you know, we spent the next three weeks, like, learning about how interesting crustaceans are, and they just look like little sea bugs, and they're kind of, you know, weird and creepy looking and kind of, you know, gross, quote unquote, but that was the, that was a game changer for me. I was like, wow, like, these animals are so incredible, yet people don't give them any mind. Um, so probably crustaceans were the first one to, like, really get me you know, thinking about that. And then I think also working in the whale watching industry, everyone wants to see orcas, everyone wants to see humpback whales, you know, the sea otters, whatever. Um, but gray whales were always my favorite. And they're not the most dynamic um, cetacean out there. They are just pretty lazy. They spend a lot of time eating. Um, but they are really just like incredible animals that I feel like don't get the same excitement that an orca or humpback or any other more dynamic species gets. Fair enough. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, you touched on some of the work that you're doing, Ghost here. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your research you're doing and how you're working towards um, solutions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, my um, main idea around this project is, um, I mean, I think it's really exciting that the federal government of Canada is starting to fund operations to help retrieve gear and dispose of it responsibly and technology like that. Um, but I really think that in Canada, we're missing that baseline information of like, okay, well, that's great, but how do we retrieve it if we don't know where it is? And like, I think that retrieval operations are super important, but if we continue to have this, like, are we continuing to have the same problem in the same places? And if so, what other ways can we mitigate this issue other than just going up and cleaning, cleaning up after the fact? So ultimately, um, I want to look at, like, what are the major, major reasons for commercial fishing gear loss in um, British Columbia? Um, specifically the Salish Sea um, ecosystem, because uh, there's still a lot of fishing that takes place there, lots of stuff going on. Um, and if we can, because of those reasons, like are those interacting with the physical environment in a certain way that would lead to gear loss? So I'd like to kind of, you know, make a, a map essentially of areas that are particular hotspots for losing gear or have a higher risk than other areas. Um, just to see, just to provide that baseline information to see if there's something there that can help, you know, first identify areas where maybe we should um, direct gear retrieval operations, but also at a higher kind of management level, think 
okay, well, if we're continually losing stuff in this particular place, what has to happen to make that stop? Like that type of a thing. Um, so that's kind of like where my interests are coming from. Um, I don't know how much more detail you'd like me to, to go into there. Would you mind just for people who aren't familiar with your topic, just to explain um, both what ghost gear is and what the Salish Sea is? Oh, yes, of course. Um, so ghost gear is any piece of fishing gear that is lost, abandoned, or just otherwise discarded and forgotten about. Um, and of course, fishing gear is made to catch animals. So while it's um, being lost, it's continually catching all kinds of animals and making it's really damaging because it might trap an animal and then the next animal might come over and try to eat that one and then you get further trapped and then it kind of starts this whole cycle um, as well. And then it can also have some habitat, you know, degradation issues as well. If you have these big heavy nets kind of disrupting when they fall, like disrupting the sediments um, on the bottom of the ocean. Um, and so this is like really harmful, of course, for wildlife. Um, and if we're looking at like a bigger kind of human level, this can be really harmful for commercial fisheries too. Um, commercial fisheries depend on the wild um, populations of marine life. And so if, you know, wildlife is being depleted through this, you know, this inadvertent action that's often just an accident, then that can lead to economic issues as well in the fishing industry. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's that. And then uh, the Salish Sea is actually composed of a few different bodies of water on the west coast of North America, the Pacific West Coast, Northern Pacific West Coast. Is that <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, it um, consists of um, Puget Sound in Washington State, the Strait of Juan de Fuca in the Strait of Georgia, and um, it's the even though it's made of three different bodies of water, it is considered one sea because fundamentally the types of wildlife and the types of environments that you find there are quite similar um, on both the British Columbia in Canada and Washington state side in the United States um, side of the border. So I would be looking more specifically at the British Columbia side of the border. There has been some research done um, in Washington state, but nothing really in BC. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and the Salish Sea is a super biodiverse ecosystem. Um, lots of fishing happening, lots of um, different vessels, like commercial vessels, passenger vessels. It's a pretty busy area. Yeah, I think um, one of the questions that we were wondering about with the, you know, where your work is leading is like, what are some of the sort of systemic barriers to action in that area or the challenges you know you mentioned a few challenges with the um, with the actual ghost gear and what the impacts are on the ecosystems there and the mm -hmm. sediment um, and sort of interference with commercial fishery fisheries um, but what do you think would be some of the sort of the big barriers to change and sort of actually removing some of this ghost gear in those ecosystems Mm -hmm. There are definitely a lot of barriers. I mean, first and foremost, 
um, there are a few, I think this side is getting better now. There's like a few small gear retrieval operations in DC and Washington state that are really familiar with the Salish Sea ecosystem. And they're starting to get more recognition and more funding and getting more education out there. But I think that also leads into education. Oftentimes when I talk about this to new people, um, they don't really realize that this is an issue. Um, so I think that if the general public had more of an education about this topic, there might be more push to change some other factors. Um, another issue as well is just the types of fishing gear that uh, is being used. Um, a lot of it is made of plastic, um, like nylon, polyethylene, like a lot of plastic materials that obviously don't degrade over time. Um, so that's definitely harmful if it gets lost and there's slowly starting to get more recognition that we need to mark gear more appropriately, but, um, not a lot of recognition for that. Um, so that's a big issue. And then also it's really dangerous too, uh, to retrieve gear properly. It takes a lot of, um, specialized training, uh, specialized equipment. And obviously if it's like really rough weather outside and you lose a net or you lose whatever gear, you're not going to go grappling off the side for that mm. because um, that could put your own life at risk, yeah. which is totally understandable. And I think too, um, a lot of this boils down to kind of like a, a, gover like a governmental level of management as well. I think that this has been an issue for a long time and it's just starting to get recognized. But I think that there's still a lot of like barriers in the way of like, you know, making sure that fishers have the incentive to maybe buy better gear or um, yeah, buy better gear or fish with different practices. Um, I think a lot of that comes up from like a federal fishers management level. Um, Gear is really expensive as well. So, I mean, there isn't a lot of motivation, I think, to buy new and better gear types if what they have is working perfectly fine for their purposes. Um, so yeah, it is definitely a big, like multifaceted issue for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great. Thanks for sharing some of those yeah, of pretty profound challenges that are most likely not just here in BC, but in other places in the world as well. So I can definitely see mm -hmm. the relevance of what you're looking at. and. I guess that kind of leads us to our next question, which is really, you know, given those barriers, given the current state, you know, what what really inspires you? What gives you hope when you're thinking about the work that you're going to be doing? How does your work, how do you see it fitting into solutions for the future? Um, well, I think what gives me hope is that ultimately people want to do the right thing. Yeah. I, I think that is just a consistent across the board. And I think that of course, everybody has a different idea about what the right thing is, but I think as long as, you know, there's consistent information and messaging out there about what the right thing to do is, like, people want to get on board. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just that, yeah, most people want to do the right thing. It's just certain barriers need to be removed, and as people become more knowledgeable about uh, a topic um, and how it impacts them or people they know, um, they'll, yeah, they'll think about, you know, seeing if they can change things. I know from my experience working alongside the commercial ground fish industry in BC, 
there's a lot of excellent fishers out there who want to do the right thing. Like they're following all the government's rules to a T and they want to support um, any sustainability practices um, that come, you know, that are directed by the federal government. But I, I think it's, um, that's kind of the big challenge is getting those practices to be directed by the federal government. Oftentimes I feel like fisheries departments are kind of like looked like they're kind of like set aside. They're not as important as other environmental departments or even other departments period. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, people want to do the right thing. And I think the more people who know about the issue, you have more public support, more industry support, academic support, which I think can help um, push for uh, a quickening of that agenda, if that makes sense. So that's kind of like what gives me hope. And then also just with um, science and science education, um, people like to learn new things is generally what I've found. And um, science education is super important. And with this whole COVID situation, we've seen how quickly scientists can collaborate with each other on a drop of a dime. And that also gives me hope too, because ultimately I think scientists are generally hopeful, passionate people. And they want, again, they want to do the right thing. That's a very human um, desire. And so I think if you have scientists and science educators and industry and the general public, you know, all working together, I think we can really push for some really big change. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Katie, that leads, I think, really nicely into our next question. Um, you know, you said that scientists tend to be really um, passionate about what they work on um, and people who are working on research in the environmental field. There's actually evidence to show that um, people who work in the field are at heightened risk to suffer from sort of negative psychological effects because of that close sort of tie to the environment. Um, they have heightened uh, awareness about the scale and severity of problems and are sort of constantly thinking about and uh, hearing about and working um, on these issues. And so something that I wonder about is as somebody who is working in this field and thinking about um, you know, environmental problems and specifically you know, your connection to the ocean and your love for ocean animals, I wonder how do you sort of balance that and how do you take care of yourself to sort of not end up kind of feeling overwhelmed or, you know, feeling down about the scale of the challenges that we face? That's a really good question, Catherine, because I'm not sure how good of a job I've been doing about that lately, but generally, um, yeah, self-care is so important and so vital, especially if you work in an area that's just like depressing, awful news all the time. Um, and I think a couple of big aspects of self-care for me, the most important one is exercise. Um, I have always really like enjoyed exercise and group fitness classes, but obviously in March things changed and I, a friend introduced me to this trainer on YouTube and I've just absolutely fallen in love with her, her videos and her mindset when it comes to exercise. And so um, I exercise about five or six times a week just to keep, um, you know, those endorphins going and to help me feel like I have purpose outside of school and outside of work. Um, and I find it really helps 
because of those endorphins, it really helps keep, keep any anxiety and depression at bay for the most part. Um, and it really helps me build confidence. And I find that I'm able to take the strength that I can, the strength and endurance that I um, build on my exercise mat, or mat, I am able to take that into my personal life uh, in the sense of like, if I can push myself to lift heavier, be faster, be more flexible, like if I can push myself in those ways during exercise, I can definitely push myself to take on those challenges um, as well in, you know, in life and work and everything else. Um, but it also really helps me stay in tune with my own body and recognize like when it is okay to take rest or to take time away from something. And I think that through fitness, I've learned that, you know, taking rest or taking a rest day isn't bad. It's taking time to rebuild yourself so that you can come back stronger next time. And so I think it's so overwhelming now, like with the news and I go through cycles, but sometimes I've just got to like shut it all off, throw my phone away and take that time to mentally rest myself so that I can come back stronger and more positive um, the next time. So exercise is super key for me. Um, and I could talk about it all day long. I love a good burpee. Um, <laughs> but, uh, another thing that's like very, so like hashtag self-care, um, I love bubble baths <laughs> with an alcohol beverage or without, book. um, because I find that taking a really hot bath, like literally forces my body and all my muscles to just relax. Like that's just the natural reaction to like the hot water and Epsom salts and everything. Um, and so it really just makes me slow down and focus on something really enjoyable. I feel like I'm giving myself a warm, comforting hug um, and just helps me just really, really unwind. And I never feel worse after taking a bath, mm. which is good. So those are kind of my two major ones. Um, I mean, I love listening to podcasts, um, whether they be hopeful and educational or hilarious and ridiculous. Um, and I find um, a little piece of creativity that helps me every day is, you know, doing my makeup, getting ready for my quote unquote work day on Zoom. Um, I find that that can be really therapeutic because you're taking your brain out of analytical mode and you're moving it into creative mode. So there's just a few things. fantastic thank you so much I think a lot of people will relate to some of the tools you've shared and some of those feelings kind of in the face of the challenges and it's not surprising at all to hear that you relax with water <laughs> given your love of water um, all right we're coming sort of towards the end of our our questions although one of the things we want to make sure that people understand is how they can get in touch with you if you're curious about your work and want to learn more so maybe you could uh, help us with that and we can we can make sure we provide any links in our show notes for the podcast totally um i don't have my own website because i'm still just a master student 
Um, but you can find me on Dr. Natalie Van's Marine Ethnoecology um, website. Um, so you can find me there. Otherwise, I'm happy for anybody to send me an email if they want to talk more. I love talking in general, but I also love ghost gear. So I'm happy to answer any emails. Um, yeah, my uh, email address is just my last name, uh, franklc at ubig.ca. Perfect. Thanks. All right. That takes us into the next section that Catherine's going to get us set for. Absolutely. So Katie, our last section here is a set of rapid fire questions. Um, so we're just going to ask you a question and you can give us a quick response. Um, are you ready? Yes. All right. All right. Okay, fill in the blanks. First question. What's your sign? Virgo. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> what book is on your bedside table, Katie? The Help. Ah, nice. Yeah. Uh, your favorite place in nature is? Mm, the beach. Mm, nice. <laughs> What's the first word that comes to mind when you think about the environment? hopeful nice so glad to hear that um okay the world needs more creativity Ooh, yeah definitely when you were little what did you want to be when you grew up <laughs> uh before marine biologist it was either a princess or an artist <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome uh that's the end of our rapid fire questions we just wanted to get a chance to kind of close out getting to know you a little bit better and um just wanted to take a moment to say thank you so much for sharing your passion for your work and introducing us to ghost gear in the Salish Sea and kind of what brings you hope and some of those key challenges that we're facing. You know, is there anything else you want to let us know before, before we go? Anything else that you want people to know about your work or you as a person and, and what you hope for this work in the future? Yeah, I mean... What else do I want people to know? I just want people to just like stay keeping positive because if we don't stay positive and we don't stay hopeful, then like what is there really to be around for? So I just want people to keep staying positive and just hope that people can like find the little things every day that makes them feel good. Perfect. Well, thank you again for, for taking the time. I know um, both Catherine and I have looked forward to this moment to launching this interview series and, and really grateful that you, you found the time to share with us again your passion and this project. Uh, Catherine, is there anything you want to say before we signed off? Yeah, thank you so much, Katie. It was fantastic to hear from you today and we're so glad you were able to join us. Yeah, well, thank you, you two, for reaching out. I'm really excited to see how this project ends up. <laughs> Thanks. all right that's a wrap that's all we've got for you today thank you so much again for joining us we really hope you enjoyed the conversation yeah and especially wanted to give a special thanks and shout out to our guest katie frankel and if you are interested and want to learn more about her work you can find all the links to the resources she had mentioned in her interview in the show notes 
We'd love to hear from you to hear about how this worked for you. So if you want to share feedback or get in touch with us at all, you can reach us at hope to hear at gmail.com. Yeah, absolutely. And if, uh, if you're not sure about the spelling of that, you can find all the links to those emails uh, in our show notes. And we'll invite you to join us next week when we talk to Astra Lincoln about water management in alpine ecosystems and really looking forward to sharing that conversation with you as well. Thanks for joining us today and we hope to hear from you and talk to you again soon. Thank you.